Hello, and welcome to UK Life Abroad. My name is Andre, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Alexa, Brianna, Nathan, and Justin. In a recent interview, President Zelensky revealed the details of a failed covert operation to arrest 33 militants as their plane passed over Ukrainian airspace. The additional revelation of leaks to the Belarusian president, Lukashenko, caused protests in Kiev, calling President Zelensky a traitor. This week, we discuss the details of this operation, as well as the legal and political complexities surrounding aircraft travel, interceptions, and extraditions. This and more on Zakhartonyi Ukrainsi, the podcast for all things Ukrainian. Last July, the SBU and the main intelligence directorate of the Ministry of Defence had planned an operation to detain some mercenaries of the Wagner private military company by staging an incident on the plane that they were flying on and forcing a landing in Kyiv. But in a recent interview with Ukrainian TV, uh, President Zelensky admitted to leaking the plan and ruining the plot. At the time, journalists accused Zelensky and his office of sabotaging the special joint operation which would have seen the 33 mercenaries who had been involved in military conflicts in eastern Ukraine, Africa and Syria uh, prosecuted for fighting on Russia's side in Donbass. However, the Belarusian dictator Alexander Lukashenko was warned and prevented the Wagner mercenaries from getting on the plane and instead sent them back to Russia, evading justice in Ukraine. Zelensky admitted he was glad the operation didn't go ahead, citing that the likely response would be similar to how Belarus was internationally isolated after the plane carrying opposition journalist Protasevich was forced to land. But interestingly, this has had the opposite effect, with Zelensky and his administration being touted as treasonous traitors. You don't get this from every interview, do you? Yeah, just a casual uh, remark saying, oh, yeah, we, I totally stuffed this up. What I found interesting was, okay, he was worried that the there would be some kind of international um, outrage, um, was, but he wouldn't really have had any kind of frame of reference since the Belarusian incident hadn't happened yet. So I just thought it was kind of weird. And then even if you're worried about it, I don't know why you would leak it and then cause the plan to fail as opposed to just pulling the plan altogether and coming up with a different way of trying to arrest them. I don't know, just... It seems kind of weird. It almost makes you wonder if there were other people in cabinet and obviously the military officials that were all for the plan and his only way to kind of foil it was to kind of announce it. Oh, yeah. Well, from the way it's been portrayed in Ukrainian media is that um, like when the original arrest of the Wagners was announced by Belarus back in 2020, a lot of Ukrainian journalists assumed that someone had leaked something from Ukraine and there were already claims that someone in President Zelensky's office was responsible for leaking that these Russian mercenaries were flying through Belarus. So it must have been like, you know, someone high up in the presidential office and like now President Zelensky's come out and admitted to it. So what did he say exactly? So during Zelensky's interview with Oden plus Oden, um, he said that Ukraine had been drawn into the operation by other countries. And he doesn't specify who these other countries were. Uh, he just keeps it very uh, vague. And from this, he had warned uh, Lukashenko about the mercenaries being on Belarusian territory. Now, he emphasized that he handed over 
complete information about these people. He said, it was I that called Alexander when the Wagnerarians were on the territory of Belarus, warned him and told him I was ready to provide the full information about these people. We knew their surnames they had. We understood who they were. Um, so he completely revealed all the details to uh, Lukashenko and his uh, and Lukashenko's response was, I understand, yes, dear Volodymyr, uh, you know how I feel about you. You know how much Belarus loves Ukraine. You know I won't let you down. Not everything has come here now. I'll figure it out. It's very so romantic talk give... between world leaders, isn't it, Andre? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Almost like a love letter in a sense. <laughs> but um, one last quote that I do want to mention is that Zelensky said during the interview, it was definitely not our operation. I clearly understood that the idea of this operation is the idea of other countries. And it's true that Ukraine was dragged into this issue. The fact that this did not happen once again drew parallels with Belarus. Thank God we have demonstrated subjectivity in this important issue. So I think this is in reference to how uh, Belarus became isolated um, after their incident with uh, Protosevich. It kind of does have like a bit of like a similar uh, feel as to how they wanted to go about um, forcing this uh, plane to land by having someone fake an illness and then uh, force it to land in Ukraine and then detain these people afterwards in kind of like a covert way. And it really does have, uh, it does remind me of like the Belarus incident when uh, they were pretending that there was the bomb on board the plane and forcing them to land. Uh, so that's why when I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, it's it seems like a really weird way to go about it. Um, when there are probably other ways that could have it could have been done in a more transparent and legal manner as opposed to kind of like behind the scenes, if that makes sense. Well, and it's like you said, like, it's kind of interesting that he quoted, like, what happened to Belarus. But when this operation was meant to happen, Bel like, what Belarus did was still, like, what, nine months away? So it's kind of a weird yeah. reference to put it in because before that he wouldn't have had anything to compare it to and like he mentions that other countries were involved so i'm assuming they would have been countries from the west so they would have had ukraine's back and they wouldn't have allowed ukraine's image to be tarnished i only think he's comparing it to the whole belarus incident it's because it's a he sees it as a very similar situation as what could have happened to ukraine and that's why he's comparing it it's sort of like um when you look back after these two events, it makes sense. But beforehand, um, if he had come out saying that, oh, I had uh, revealed uh, information about the operation, he wouldn't have anything to compare it to. So I don't think it really made a difference if he compares or not. I think it's more that his feeling of what could have happened to Ukraine is the same. Though. Oh, so you think that he would Ukraine have known there would have, would have been outrage even though nothing had happened yet and so belarus was kind of like the first one to take that step and instead of having ukraina take that first step um it was kind of like oh i know there's going to be outrage so i'm not going to do it and then another country just went on and did it later is that what you mean pretty much yeah well when thinking about this one i'm kind of a little torn when it comes to like exactly how legal it is for countries to force planes to land and um should they be forcing um you know passenger aircraft to land when it comes to uh detaining uh 
criminals on board or people they perceive to be criminals on board. So I had a look a little bit into um, the history of how um, uh, criminals have been uh, detained um, on transportation. And it goes, it's actually been happening for a long time, um, mostly by land. But when it comes to things like um, sea travel, there was a case of uh, a guy, I'm not sure if you've heard of him, Dr. Crippen in England. He was accused of murdering his wife and then he fled with his mistress um, to Canada. And while he was on the ship, one of the detectives actually went um, on a faster ship, arrived there earlier and ended up uh, being able to contact him by uh, wireless transmission, which is uh, was, was a very new technology at the time. And they were able to then uh, intercept the ship when it came into uh, the harbour and um, arrest him on board the ship. And given the fact that they were worried that he was going to flee, or in some cases, actually, they were worried he was going to jump overboard, they actually boarded the ship disguised as pilots so that he wouldn't um, uh, flee. So that was a case of someone they had an arrest warrant out on, and they actually wanted to um, arrest. Except when it comes to the uh, uh, planes, for example, it's a lot more difficult given the fact that a lot more can go wrong when it comes to trying to intercept a plane and also given the fact that there um, there are other passengers on board that can cause you know larger problems especially given you know the hijackings can occur and depending on what kind of criminals that you have on board so there's a few cases that i i found um, and most of them were from the United States where a civilian plane has been forced to land when they were flying too close to the no-fly zone where the president um, was at the time. But it's not all that common. In fact, um, when looking at the actual legality of whether it can be done, uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica actually says that as long as an aircraft is flying in the national airspace of some state, the law of that state is applicable. And when a crime has been committed during an international flight, however, there may be difficulty pinpointing when and where it occurred and hence determining the state law of which has been violated. So this links to something called the Convention on International Civil Aviation. And what that stated was that each country actually has um, the sovereignty over its airspace above it. So if a plane is flying over Ukraina, for example, then Ukraina has the right to ask that plane to land. Um, and there's a number of different protocols that they have to go through. Um, they actually legitimately ask them to land if they believe that there has been, there is a criminal on board or if there is any crime that, that they believe has taken place on that aircraft, they can actually force them to land. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, when comparing it to uh, things like the Belarus case. Um, and so I looked a little further and um, there was a, uh, a blog uh, called Opinio Jurists and it's actually run by some uh, legal scholars and they actually go into depth, in, like in depth into different cases and they'll take a look at which um, what's, what's legal and what's not. Uh, so in the case of Belarus, they said that, on the other hand, there are indications that cast doubts on the official version provided by Belarus. First, why did they decide to divert the plane, which almost reached its destination, to a further airport in Minsk? Second, had the op operation be undertaken with the use of a military fighter, or could it simply have been uh, carried out 
on the landing. So this comes to why did they scramble these fighters and force the plane to land instantly instead of trying to get the plane to land at a closer airport or land on its own? And so this one, then basically they went on to say that they were, they had been misusing the these articles in this uh, international civil aviation convention. Um, so when it comes to uh, the arresting of the journalist versus the the use of um, of it to uh, try and land in Ukraine. Do you guys think that they're kind of similar, or would you guys say that there's actually a difference there, given that one was arresting a journalist and one was arresting war criminals? I think that's a hard call either way. I think that just going back to what you said before, before we answer that one, there is obviously another aspect to this that yes, international law and convention might say something, but effectively. International law is not exactly as ironclad as laws of a state in the sense, in the same sense, because it is about agreement and consensus on those laws. And really, I mean, if you look at any example um, of a country's sovereign airspace, I mean, you're allowed to pull down any plane if you believe there's a reason. Now, whether they've done that for a legitimate reason or not, the right for that country to do it probably would never be infringed upon, aside from being frowned upon for the reasons they did it because that's something that every country wants to reserve its right to do uh, for, for a legitimate security concern. So I, th- I think the other thing to look back on this part is, while they can do these sort of things, it's this sort of behaviour from Belarus, and potentially if Ukraine had done it hypothetically as well, it's that sort of behaviour that would then make airlines question whether they want to do fly over those countries for their air routes. And that those air routes do have an economic value to the countries that, that have them. Um, so those air routes and the rights to fly passenger planes over a country do provide income to the country. So I think there's ways that the international community can respond to the Belarus situation and hypothetically could have in the situation of Ukraine. But I think it's not as much as those conventions are very important and we obviously all want to play nicely in the world of international law. Uh, the realities are that, you know, there might be a legitimate reason to do this. And, and like you say, in the terms of war criminals, perhaps there's more legitimacy than in terms of political people that are politically inconvenient to the country in question. Yeah, well, when I was looking at um, where the plane was flying to, it was flying to Istanbul. So I think it would have been, they they would have had another opportunity if they had uh, worked with, uh, let's say, police in Turkey to arrest the war criminals and try and extradite them out of Turkey. That might have been another possibility as well. And instead of trying to force the plane to land in Ukrainian airspace, I mean, is that something that you think would have worked? It's an interesting point, Nathan. They'd probably have like a decent chance of getting them back because, you know, Turkey's in NATO and they're like a partner of the West. Uh, But what's even more interesting is that out of the 33 men arrested in Belarus, nine of them were citizens of Ukraine. And the fact that Belarus extradited them to Russia is kind of another violation of international law because you're not meant to extradite non like you should only be extraditing citizens of that country to back to their native country. So the or whichever country, extradited- yeah, whichever country requested, because I believe it was last year, actually, no, I think it was 2017, there was a situation where Turkey, no, Ukraine wanted, I think it was Ukraine wanted to extradite some criminals from Turkey and they were Germans and the Germans didn't want them to or something along those lines where one of the countries, either Turkey or Ukraine, wanted an extradition, but they were actually German citizens. So Germany was trying to block the extradition. So I think it can be whichever country um, like requests it, but I, I don't quote me on that. 
Yeah, but Ukraine did put in a request for their extradition. So, mm. anyway. Yeah, I think the important thing here, though, is these. this is really, you know, securing your extradition by means that are not particularly, like, by illegal means is the best way probably to put it. I mean, yeah. you're, you're really doing this, and the plan that Ukraine had, and obviously what was executed in Belarus is similar in that sense, that and either of these is not the formal process for extradition, even if it is your citizens or otherwise. And what you're really doing, it's not a plane that has, you know, has deviated or is not authorised to fly in your airspace. This is a plane that has a planned, like a commercial aircraft that had a planned trajectory in the case of Belarus, and it was intercepted for reasons that, you know, were priorities for the country and for their nationals, their national interest, not necessarily for a general public safety concern. And I think that's where, you know, it's you know, in some ways the fact that this was, you know, there might have been a request to do this actually make it less legitimate to, you know, to have a legal process to extradite and then take the matter into your own hands by the plan that, you know, Ukraine was having would be probably quite a bad thing on the international stage because of that. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree um, with that. What, uh, another interesting note, and this is from an article in the Jamestown Foundation, is they um, they managed to get a, a quote from a Russian conservative writer who volunteered to fight against Ukraine in Donbass. His name is Zakhar Perlipin, and he openly admitted during one of his interviews that um, about, he reckoned, two or three of the people that, Belarus, that Ukraine was trying to um, capture and that were Belarus extradited back to Russia were actual fighters from Donbass. So it looks like Ukraine, like Ukraine had proper intelligence that there were potentially war criminals amongst the 33 Wagners. Yeah, it just, it just seems to me they could have been handled um, a lot better. And now given that it was leaked in this way and the war criminal, they're in Russia now, so good luck getting them out of Russia. Um, yeah, I feel like if they'd gone down, like you said, if they'd gone down those more legal um, pathways... Well, I think if they tried to do it legally, it was like the same thing would have happened. They would have just never left Russia. True, uh, Belarus, you mean? Well, no, if Ukraine had... Because tr- they were in Russia originally, Ukraine managed to lure them out to Belarus. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, true. But then if it's something between, let's say, Ukraine and Turkey, I'm sure there's a there's a possibility. Well, I'm sure they can keep that covert until it's actually pulled off yeah I, I hear what you're saying alexa and like obviously every country has its its priorities and what they wanted to do i think had there been a plan to again to let that plane be lured out to a country that will agree to extradite to ukraine or something like that that's one thing but i think to intercept the plane yeah I, i'm not sure you know whether that had any legs and yeah yeah, yeah I'd, I'd say no. I mean, I was thinking the last thing I was going to say was, um, do you guys, can you guys think of any legitimate um, situations when a plane, a civilian airliner would be forced into um, landing? I don't think they were meant to be flying on a civilian plane, though. I mean, they were just meant to be on a transport plane. Or just, but it, it's still, it, it's not, it's not a military plane. It's, it's a civilian plane. Yeah. Can you think of any situation? Um, look, there's obviously situations where, Planes have been required to land or been forced to land. There's even situations, you know, back in the Cold War where, you know, a civilian airliner has been shot down, you know, under, over the Soviet Union for deviating into airspace um, with a significant loss of life. But I think in this example of a plane on an approved route being forced to land, um, 
and not and whatever the situation or the reason for the landing proved to be dubious, I think is the concern, right? That that's really yes. what we're talking about here. Um, yeah. For their own interest, as opposed to a genuine safety concern or a genuine national security concern that you could say this plane was a threat, was going to you know, collide to a building or do something. Uh, I think it's it, it's it's a great it's a great area when it comes past where we're talking. Either way, um, Zelensky's response to the interview question has proven to be quite a stir in Ukraine. And the day after, uh, almost 5,000 protesters gathered in front of the presidential office to protest his alleged confession and um, treasonous behavior in their eyes. One thing I do want to add um, is the whole situation in the meetings um, that happened from like the 25th and onwards on the 24th the group was uh, was brought from moscow to minsk and on the 25th they were meant to fly to turkey like uh, has been mentioned before and then that and during that uh, flight from minsk to istanbul there'd be uh, a staged illness that would bring down the plane however on the july 24th there was a meeting held and after the report uh, had been conducted, uh, Yatomak asked for it to be postponed as he referred to talks with the Russian presidential aide and that the operation could disrupt the exchange of prisoners prepared at the time and the truce as part of the Minsk process. However, the intelligence officials said that the militants were already on the road and registered for the flight and that stopping the operation could lead to failure. Uh, law enforcement officials claimed that the detention of the Wagner mercenaries had nothing to do with the Minsk process as they were wanted and of interest to the Dutch judiciary, which was considering the case of the downing of Fly MH17. Now, this is when Zelensky supported Yermak and the operation was postponed. Um, during this time, the information was leaked and that's when... On July 29th, the special services of Belarus detained the whole group. On August 3rd, Zelensky convened another meeting with the chief of intelligence, Budaba, said that the operation failed and the reason for this is a betrayal. Budaba demanded to start checking everyone who knew about the operation. Um, Zelensky did not make any decisions in the investigation and investigation into the failure was not launched. After these events, Zelensky fired Borba and appointed a new head of the GUR, and Blanetsky went on indefinite leave. From the very beginning, Zelensky was already trying to hide his mistake, in a sense, and trying to prevent him having a, his, tep, uh, his reputation tarnished, really. Bit of a purge. I would, true, but I would say, on the one hand, it, is it his reputation or Kriyina's reputation? Because as much as you would want to this operation to go ahead it's there is the question of are you sacrificing like the legality of um certain deals just to try and get mil uh these 33 militants and obviously the protests show that there are people in ukraine that would have wanted that but it, it as president he also has to try and watch out for uh, ukraine's reputation and if ukraine is going to be um you know, violating certain um, agreements and doing the, the dodgy operations that are, you know, based on uh, illegitimate claims, like like you mentioned, someone getting sick. Um, yeah, that's that's not good for Korea's reputation on the world stage either. I completely agree, Nathan. I think that's the other concern here. I mean, Ukraine already has enough image problems and the Russian propaganda about Ukraine being this deeply corrupt country already sticks 
quite prominently in Western media and, and a lot of lot of public opinion. So I think, yeah, Crane does need to be careful um, in terms of that. And, and I think the other part of this, which alludes to what Andy was talking about earlier, is that perhaps the, the leak, maybe they had their own leak about this operation and it no longer became tenable to do it. So the best thing to do was to try and call Lukashenko and restore the relationship and gloss it over and, and, and take that step to kind of keep international relations as best as you could. And we've seen from the Belarus incident, which again is similar, but probably worse in some ways because of the political con the political prisoner context or political activist con journalist context. Um, you know, there has been condemnation globally around Belarus's actions. So it would have certainly happened for Ukraine as well. I think you're both right in that he was trying to preserve um, U Ukraine's image on the world stage. And that's why he uh, pretty much uh, did what released he did. The yeah, right. To prevent any tarnish to the Ukrainian representation uh, reputation. But I think having fired the head of the military intelligence, I think that was more to prevent backlash from inside Ukraine, because if the public heard that he had um, released sensitive information, then a lot of Ukrainians would have been angered by this because you've just stopped yourself from convicting these war criminals from Donbass and Crimea. I think that's the whole yeah. issue. And he has a, there's two things that I think are very interesting what you said, Andre. First of all, I think, yes, completely agree with that viewpoint. But at the same time, is the reason that he was fired because they were covering it up or is the reason that he was fired was because maybe this is this was a, a planned process that had gone, you know, like this, this operation might have been kind of a bit too enthusiastically driven by the people that were removed, right? So this could have been something that, the you know the president and all the other leadership weren't sure about. He kept they kept pushing it. They might have taken it to a level of planning that they weren't happy with. Like I'm not sure. I don't think we can really speculate too much. I think the buck still stops with the president, which is where at least President Zelensky, from that perspective, has been you know has taken the ownership of it. Um, but um, the other thing is, I guess, the question of legality of disclosing national security information. Now, there's a moral question about someone doing that against their own country because it's counterproductive and obviously the president of a country swears to protect that country um, under the constitution. But, you know, as we're seeing with Trump, um, the president kind of, not by any formal process, could theoretically de declassify whatever they want to declassify. Um, and so that's an interesting question in itself. And I, I, I can't, without like, re referring to the Ukraine constitution, I can't even begin to determine the situation in Ukraine. But I think there's a complexity there when you are the head of state or I guess the leader of the country. It's interesting that he's waited a year before announcing the like why the operation failed because it has been in, sort of bubbling in the background, particularly in the more oppositional media to President Zelensky, that they're like about why the operation failed. So it. It'd be like, I wonder why he decided that, you know, almost a year after to now admit to why the operation failed. I, mean, I imagine, like most things with inter, inter, like diplomacy, international diplomacy, what comes out in public versus what is discussed behind privileged intonation dialogue is probably different. You know, the conversation with Lukashenko, although like the public reporting of it, you know, there might have been back channel conversations about this whole thing that happened and then eventually there was an agreement that, you know, yeah, whether, yeah, 
not necessarily agreement to apologize or whatever it would be, but there would be agreement that this has to be public or that Ukraine has to... I mean, we've seen enough of the intrigue around the impeachment trial, second impeachment trial of Donald Trump, around all the pressure that was given to Zelensky to make an interview or do a press conference or say that this process was starting. So I think there could be a whole host of reasons why the time has taken this long. Well, either way, Ukraine's relationship with Belarus is basically in tatters since... Uh, Belarus landed the plane and Ukraine cut off most ties with the country. So in one sense, there's probably how much lower can the relationship go. In the news this week, June 28th was Ukrainian Constitution Day. Ukraine was the last post-Soviet state to adopt a constitution 25 years ago. Since then, the constitution has gone through several amendments the latest being on February 7, 2019, when the Verkhovna Rada voted to amend the constitution to state Ukraine's strategic objectives as that of joining the European Union and NATO. The World Bank has approved a $350 million loan to Ukraine to help mitigate the effects of the global pandemic. The money will be used to fund social assistance for vulnerable people and for economic development. Ukraine's parliament cancelled fines for residents of the occupied Donbass who enter Ukraine through Russia instead of official frontline checkpoints. The fine will be waived so long as the checkpoints between Ukraine and the occupied territories remain closed. President Zelensky has submitted to the Vahovna Rada a draft law on the Great Coat of Arms of Ukraine. During his speech on the occasion of the 25th anniversary of the Constitution, he noted that the Great Coat of Arms was the last unresolved issue of the Constitution. If passed, Ukraine would become one of only several European countries that have two coat of arms. Let us know which stories you'd like to hear by reaching out to us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Join us next week for more UQ Life Abroad content.